I just can't figure out if it's because you're advanced or because I'm stunted. You take the red pill. You stay in Wonderland. I am loving. You do not talk about Fight Club. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while. You could miss it. Hello and welcome to the Glacé Film Club. And welcome to a new series of interviews we're going to be doing within the Glacé Film Club. I'm going to be speaking to a selection of different people from TV, film, video makers, any creatives that inspire me or I think I could learn from. I'm going to be having a chat to them and they're going to be sharing their insights and experience from the world of film, video or whatever they've been up to creatively. The first in the series, today I've been talking with writer Simon James. He's a prolific writer. He's written in so many different styles, covering short stories, radio dramas, comic books, short films, with now his main focus being on scripts and with a great play that he's got going at the moment. And most of his, some of his notable work involves short story collection called Chapter One that he wrote when he was at university, a short film called Issa, and a play called The Told in the Hole, which had a run in London, has now been commissioned to be shown in Manchester, when we can get back out there and go to theatres again, which will be very soon, hopefully, and I'm very excited to go out and check that out. If you want to learn a bit more about Simon, check out some of the work he's done in the past, just head over to his website at storiesbysimon.co.uk and he's got a great biography on there featuring all the stuff that he's done in the past. But I'm sure you're going to learn a lot about him from this interview. I surely did. It was a big inspiration and it was great to speak to a writer and learn a lot about the world of writing. So... Without further ado, let's dive into this chat. I'm sure you're going to enjoy it. We spent an hour having a good chat covering everything he'd done in the past, what it's like to be a writer, what inspires him, and things he'd like to do in the future. So, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Let's get cracking. Thank you for joining me, Simon. Thanks have this chat me. all about you as a writer, all things related to what you've been up to as a writer over the years, and hopefully I can learn a few things from what you've done in the past and we can share some thoughts which I can take away with me today. Cool, man. I don't know about, so, le- I don't know about learning much, but we'll, we'll give it a go. <laughs> if not, if we just have a meandering chat that just leads us to somewhere, both of those things are pretty valid. So, you know, as long as we've got some audio at the end, I'm happy with that. <laughs> but what I wanted to start with, I've been uh, looking over your stuff, had a little watch of the film you did, some of your writing as well, but I just wanted to start off by asking... I've always been interested by writing and it's something I've, I've wanted to do over the years and always tell myself, right, I'll try this and I've tried different things. But the one thing that's always stopped me is you start something and you're not having the determination or the will to see it through to the end. And I imagine a lot of people have this. Everyone's got an idea for their great novel, but actually completing it is probably the things that separates really good writers to people who just have got those little sparks. So... This, this might be a tough one going back, but I want to know, what's the first time you can remember, maybe as a child, thinking of something that you wanted to write, but then having the determination to kind of go, you know what, I want to see this through. And what kind of feeling did that give you to kind of then take that on to write more stuff? Yeah, I feel like, if I'm honest, I feel like I, I was doing it as soon as I could write. I was always writing little stories and making little comic books for my brother. Uh yeah, I don't know. I don't, can't remember what the first one was, but it's, there's always that sense of satisfaction when you get to the end, for sure. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like my mum reading me stories when I was like so young and wanting to 
do my own spin on it or my own sequel. Um, yeah. I don't know, it's uh, something I've always done, really. But for you, would you say then that comes a lot more naturally? Because for me, even if I'm just trying to write a blog or something, it, it takes a lot of motivation to go, right, here's the milestone to write this, this, and this. Do you still have that when you're writing that you have to like power through different bits or do you find that's always come naturally that once you've got an idea, it pretty much just flows out? No, no, you do get ebbs and flows for sure. It's, uh, it's about discipline, I guess. It's just like anything. It's just like, you know, going to the gym or any hobby, you need to commit to it. Uh, but yeah, of course, like there's days when you're just like, no, I just, I'm just not in the mood. Like I could spend three hours sat here and I know that nothing good will come out. I'd, I'd be better just going and watch, watching the TV. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's about discipline. Definitely. I tried to say, well, I'm going to do two hours uh, and then I can treat myself and have a beer and watch a film. Um, but I, and it's, it's about being regular as well. Like I try to do it most, most nights, you know, because I, I consider it to be my hobby and my passion and what I love. So uh yeah i try and try and do it unless I, unless i'm in a mood where i know i'm really not going to come up with anything good i try and make, make yeah. myself but yeah i mean sometimes sometimes you're more excited about it than others if, if you've just come up with an idea and you think it's great and and i guess as well an impending deadline always helps so if you know you've got a yeah. st- studio booked and you, the script has got to be finished uh that that is always a good motivator to be honest and it's amazing how quickly things manage to come together when you've got that kind of looming uh, looming deadline for sure yeah absolutely i think that that works in all things and i was thinking back to university days you know as soon as that deadline's being put in front of you, you it's amazing how many words you can write in one evening yeah absolutely would you say there's different techniques that you uh use for different styles of writing in terms of helping you get it out there or is it very much like you said just making sure you're writing on a consistent basis uh techniques i i think a good story is a good story no matter what kind of medium you're telling it in uh for me a great a great writer is a kind of a master storyteller you know okay a, a, a writer's job is to make an audience like sit up and pay attention uh and that and that could be in in any medium i guess uh, you know, you've got to hold the, the that attention of the, of the audience in the palm of your hand, and um, you know, treat it like a roller coaster, and you're you're kind of in charge. And I guess yeah, it's, yeah. it's the same, whatever medium we're we're working in. Yeah, so it's more the kind of like you said, you're always thinking that you're telling the story. It doesn't matter what kind of way you're doing it. You, that's the focus, connecting with the audience. Yeah, I mean, obviously, there's different techniques for different. Like, I, I would write differently for a radio drama as I would for a theatre production um, just because you're telling the story in a different way you're using sound yeah. more uh, but in terms of the story itself and the characters yeah I would say it's it's the same universally yeah, yeah. nice nice. Well, it's just, that, that's the one thing that struck me as I was kind of I was reading through the stuff that you've done in the past and you know a lot of it really impressive and we'll go over it but the thing that always impresses me most from writers especially people who are able to produce so much is that ability to take an idea but then put the time in to consistently refine it into something. It's like I said, like everyone's got great ideas for something, but it's actually producing something at the end of it like that, which I find pretty impressive. Which takes us on to the first thing I want to chat about, which as I was doing a little bit of research on you, I feel like I've um, been your uh, biographer for the week. No. But, <laughs> but um, this one, so... You started writing when you were, you said, well, you're really young, you knew that you always wanted to do stuff like that. But um, 
correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but when you left high school, you uh, published a series of short stories called Chapter One. Yeah, so that's right. I actually, how old would you have been at I, that stage? It was when I was at uni, actually. First year of uni. Okay. Um, yeah, I did it my first term. And what was the kind of process that led to that? Was that something that was a culmination of just ideas from over the years? Yeah, there were stories that I'd, I had written over the last three or four years. Uh, and I just wanted people to read them, you know? Like, short stories are such a natural, easy thing to write, but I was really proud of them, and I wanted, like... No, I wanted like my friends and family to to read them, so it, that was a self published book that I did, and uh, yeah, it went in a few bookshops in Lancaster. Sold, I think we sold five hundred copies in the end. So yeah, I was pretty chuffed with it. That was kind of my first, my first big work for sure. Yeah. Would you say actually producing something like that is then a kind of like catalyst to do other stuff? Because obviously you can write so many short stories, just have them knocking about, but for you formulating that into something, has that kind of like then boosted you on to do other stuff going forward? Yeah, I think for me, because at that age, short stories are one of the only things you can write. Like before the age of 18, I, I don't think I would have ever written a screenplay. But at that age, it was for me, it was just... A creative output and it kind of helped me decide what kind of a writer I want to be I guess you know what kind of topics I want to write about what what interests me what kind of characters do I what kind of stories do I want to tell yeah uh, so yeah it definitely helped me become I guess the writer I am now and it throughout university as well it helped me refine the kind of thing that I wanted to do for sure yeah were there any standout stories from that that you're really proud of <laughs> Well, uh, it's not my favourite, but the one that everybody kind of liked was one, uh, it was called Die Tartung, which is uh, German for the devolution. And it was about uh, Adolf Hitler, who escapes uh, the bunker uh, when everybody thought he, he died. Uh, okay. and he, 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 he's, his brain gets uh, transferred into the consciousness of a monkey, and he, he kind of goes on living as a monkey. Uh, so that that was the the standout story yeah, 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 yeah. that everybody kind of spoke about, and that was the one on the cover. Uh, so. Were they all along a similar theme, or did they throw about? I, I must apologise; I didn't manage to get my hands on a copy. Oh, that's right. Over I'll, the I'll let week. you off, Marcus, this time. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, no, they're all different. To be honest, they're all completely different. Different, different genres, different styles. It was it was an eclectic mix for sure. The the only thing that unified them was. Uh, they all could have been a chapter one, hence the title. They all could have been the start of a bigger story. Uh, yeah. And they were all themed on escapes. They were all about an escape. Um, okay. But yeah, they yeah, were yeah, all different. Well, that's kind of what I like about the idea of a short story collection. I do like reading short stories as well, because like you said, it's something that's easily accessible for both the reader and the writer. But would you say, with that being your first kind of major bit of work you've kind of completed and put out there, did you find a style from that? Was it kind of like a brain dump of getting everything that you wanted to write into something? And then from that, you're like, okay, I know where I want to go now. Or has writing from that just been a series of more kind of, here's loads of ideas, I'll put it down and see what comes through. I'd say the middle one because I, I'm a script writer now, really. I don't really write prose. So yeah. uh, in terms of finding a style, I, I, I don't think... I, cu- I couldn't say that it did help me find a style. It more helped me decide the kind of topics I want to write about. Siblings, education, class, you know. Yeah. Um, it made me realise what's important to me and what kind of stories I want to tell. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's kind of, and like I said, that fascinates me by the idea of it. And I love a collection. And like, a, like I said, a novel's really daunting. So a long piece of writing is daunting. And even a script in itself you know, is quite a daunting thing to write. But the idea of short stories and a collection, you can almost, you know, ideas that you might have to cut out in something a bit longer you can kind of throw in there another story and kind of put it along. I'm just thinking of the perspective of me and uh, what we do is kind of making films and videos as well. You know, you always, you often have loads of ideas you want to get in there. And sometimes it is nice when you just make a series of short videos because you can kind of tuck things in there which might have just been cut from one thing with one theme. So, yeah, that is pretty interesting. But that brings us on to, I want to chat about uh, university um, and off camera <laughs> off off mic we were talking about how we went to the same university didn't really cross paths there but we did have a lot of opportunity to but what interests me is i've read on your website is that you built all your degree around creative writing but your writing that you enjoy personally what went into your degree and what kind of shaped that into the stuff that you do now uh so at university that was for me the time when I, I kind of decided what, what I wanted to write. And it was a great opportunity to experiment with new things. So, for example, yeah. before university, I'd never written really a single poem in my life. We did a poetry module, and because uh, I hadn't done it before, I enjoyed that process of trying something new, and you're in a group yeah. of peers who are all doing the same thing. And it was fantastic. It was one of the best, one of the best modules we did because it was something completely fresh, and it's that... That change, that variety that kind of excited me. And then for me, it was university was when I started writing scripts. So that's what I do now. It's, you know, I kind of, instead of a dissertation, I, I did full length screenplays for TV dramas. Uh, and it was a fantastic opportunity because obviously at university, you've got that support network of teachers and your peers who read all your work and uh, tell you if it's any good or not, you know? Yeah. Uh, and if you've got eight people in a room telling you that this scene doesn't land or if that character doesn't ring true and you say, oh, well, I think, I think it's great, then you're a bit of an idiot. You know, it's a fantastic, it's a yeah. fantastic chance to, to find out what works, really. Would you say that's pretty important when writing then is having kind of feedback and shared ideas? Because I'll be completely honest, like when I was at university, I didn't do the most kind of cut and dry degree. I studied history, but I looked at creative writing and thought, okay, interesting, fascinating. But what's the group element of that? What's the teaching element? What would And I fully understand more now the craft that goes into these things and how it is developed. But that was kind of a view I imagine a lot of people would have so what would you say is the kind of the benefit of being able to study alongside other people and develop those ideas in a group it is it is literally that that group environment that is the benefit it's uh i still have people i send my work to now but i do miss having that regular weekly peer-to-peer feedback session where we're all reading each other's work so you're getting ideas from everybody else and inspiration from all your peers who are all great you know uh, and then you're getting that honest feedback every week that helps you develop your craft. And then obviously there's the great uh, professors who, who've read every book in the world, you know? Of course, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah it's, I, I would say I miss it. It was, it was invaluable, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that as well because, you know, you, you're kind of dipping your toe into different areas there. But 
I get that sense when it's whatever work you're doing or every thought process you're going down. Sometimes you just need to vent and throw ideas at someone. Even if you're not looking for a set response, it can get very frustrating. I imagine even more so writing when you've got a very set place and journey you're trying to travel along, but finding the kind of steps towards it aren't as easy when you're on your own. So you mentioned then that you still kind of have a process to do that now. How how do you operate with your writing now and speaking to other people about it? Yeah, I'd say it's changed now because at university, you've got no choice. You have to submit for a certain date and people are going to see your work, whether it's finished or not. Here, I would say, for example, with my partner, uh, I'm a lot more protective of it. So I won't want her to read it until I think okay. it's really good. Okay, yeah, yeah. You know, which I'm not saying whether that's good or bad because... It means I've already decided where it's going before she gets to read it. Um, but yeah, it's still invaluable to have that, for sure. For yeah. sure. Absolutely. Um, well, going back onto what you are saying about doing, um, you were writing scripts at university. I listened to the one that you did for Bay Rig FM, Here For You, is it called? Yeah, well, Beorig FM, the uh, student radio at Lancaster, is a, a special place in my heart because I was uh, actually did a few shows on there. As you might be able to tell by the, my microphone setup, trying to make me feel like I'm back on the radio again. But um, I hadn't listened to it before, and I listened to it uh, today. I thought it was really interesting, fantastic, and it was. I, I love podcasts, and I want to chat to you about this as well because obviously we're doing a podcast now. But before we do that. What was the difference for you in writing something that's going to be uh, just audio-based than something that's going to be visual? It's, it, is, it is that audio. So you, your whole story, you're working on audio only. So I know it sounds obvious, but you have to be able to convey physical movement without a visual. And like I'm, I'm in a writer's room at the moment, we're working on an audio drama and I think they, I think I really annoy them because I, I always say like, but how do the audience know that he's just, yeah. uh, you know, hugged her? And they'll be like, oh yeah. But it, it's, it sounds obvious, but you have to think of other ways to tell a story. And it's not just sound effects. It is literally a dialectic reference. So kind of like the characters speaking about what they are doing. Uh, other than that, it's again it's the same. It's just telling strong stories, I guess. That is the main difference. But the fantastic thing about about radio drama, and I do think radio drama is an undervalued medium, is you've you've got an unlimited budget. You can go anywhere in space. Uh, yeah. You know, you don't have a, a special effects budget. Anything can happen. It's all as as far as your imagination could stretch, that can happen in your story, which is really exciting. That's a good point, actually, because I never thought about it that way. But like, say so you're not, for example, if you're trying to create a big budget film, you're almost more restricted when the budget goes up because the expectations of visually what's being delivered are even higher. So you have to deliver on that. But when you're saying like that with a radio drama, it's the special effects only go so far. The effects are the effects. You know, it's what it is. It's all in the words and the uh, stories that you yeah. out there. And the imagination of the of the audience. You kind of you're asking the the audience to buy into your uh, to suspend their disbelief more and work harder to imagine what is happening, which actually can can be a more valuable experience for them. Yeah. Well, I I kind of I often try and break down 
what is so compelling about um, audio entertainment and drama and things like that. Because I remember when I was at university and doing stuff with the radio thinking, is this a career I want to go into? And often people saying, oh, radio's dead. It's not going anywhere. But at the same time, I thought, well, people love listening to this. Like, surely that won't just go away. And I think the podcasts have now proven that that's not going anywhere. Maybe the actual setup of a radio station will change, but there is something which is weirdly endearing about just listening to people have a conversation and just focusing on the the audio itself. Do you listen to any podcasts? And is it something that you see maybe yourself going into our the kind of radio drama more going towards is the idea of these kind of bingeable series that you might get on Netflix, but more so happening in a kind of podcast form. Yeah, man, I love it. I, I'm I'm well into it. I mean, this over lockdown, I've uh, I've been doing two. So I've been doing a series of three short radio dramas, uh, which are completely completely told by children. Uh, so the actors are children. Uh, we've recorded two. And we're recording the final one. I've got a studio booked a week tomorrow in Wales. We've had to wait until we've been allowed to go to Wales to yeah, yeah, yeah. work in Wales. Uh, so that's that's one. And the other one I'm doing as a collective. One of my friends from uni, he's uh, he's organised another one. Uh, we're calling it 2040. And it's a five-part drama. It's a kind of murder mystery set in the year 2040. And we're all writing one episode uh, and that's been that's been fantastic. Like I've I've not done a lot of writers' room stuff before, where you're all kind of throwing ideas in the mix. Yeah. Uh, you know, we went down to London and we all kind of uh, spent a day blocking it through, and we've all written our episodes, and now we're doing notes on each other's. And yeah, I, I love I love audio drama. It's it's great, and particularly in you know in an era where so many people are sat on the tube, sat on buses, it's a great form of entertainment, right? All these people that say radio is dead, they want, they want their head feeling. Yeah, I fully agree. And I mean, I'm obsessed with podcasts. I'll be listening to a few a day and I think they're fantastic. Um, but I think in many ways they are more engaging than um, a TV series, a Netflix series, because it's very hard just to passively listen to something because you get lost in it. I mean, TV, you'll have it on in the background while you're doing something else. But like, I think with an audio drama you've got to really be present to it and the fact that you are focusing on the words the the dialogue rather than looking at the visuals is you get more meaning from it so the reason i kind of asked about the podcast as well because from my perspective from like a production point of view how i see things are going like spotify are throwing millions at podcasts at the minute like joe rogan's podcast which is one of the biggest in the world has now got an exclusivity deal on spotify and i can kind of it excites me that idea of okay this netflix wave of bingeable series has really taken off but i definitely think there's something there for um the kind of podcast equivalent but it's great to hear that you're definitely on that and you're working on things in that area which is uh, really exciting and i'll definitely check them out when they get released thank you mate well let's let's move away from that a little bit and um all right, well, one of the main things I definitely wanted to chat to you about was um, the play that you wrote, Told in the Hole. Yeah. Got that right, yes. I'm always worried with the research. I've not done all these things right. You, you, only um, missed, uh, you only missed one word. It's the toad in the hole so that people don't get it confused with sausage in, uh, in a Yorkshire pudding. But I'll let sorry, you do apologize. The, to- the toad in the hole. Okay, there we go. I'll make sure that is in order. Descriptions written there properly. But yeah, I um I watched a few of the videos online that you have of it from interviews and snippets, and looks 
like really good. I definitely want to see it. Um, I checked with you a few months ago. You were meant to be showing it in Manchester, right? Recently, then obviously lockdown, pandemic has stopped that from happening. Is that still planning to go ahead? Yeah, in the year or next yeah, year. Yeah, as soon as we can, we're, uh, we'll put it on. It's we're, we're currently saying it'll be on in February. We've got dates in February, uh, but yeah, who knows? Who knows what's going to happen to the world? But as soon as we can, it'll be it'll be on for sure. Yeah, fantastic. So, would you give a little overview of that? Um, for the listeners, sure. Uh, so it's uh, it's a, it's a story of uh, three primary school friends who were put into separate learning groups at school. Uh, it's like they've been streamed, streaming. Uh, so they the, the characters are butterfly, top group, moth, middle group, and worm. Uh, and this, it's a story about class and social mobility, and it's about them trying to you know, see if they can move groups and see if they can progress in life. Yeah. Um, so that, that's kind of what it is. And, and, but there's also another kind of lurking, uh, creeping menace from the corner that uh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't want to give, give it away, but it's, um, there's a twist in it for sure. Okay, yeah. Cool. Well, well from the uh, videos I watched, what well, I really liked the element of that you've got the characters who are children but played by adult actors, and that really came across... Um, in their kind of like their language and also their body movements but it it gave so many kind of extra like layers to it and gave it that extra edge I mean I'm saying this from someone who's only seen clips of it but the idea and the premise of it I think it kind of definitely ran quite deep giving that extra bits and then digging you to that point that you mentioned before when you said with your writing that you like to write about uh, social issues and things like that what I'm trying to say is I think it's a very clever concept and I'm very looking forward to seeing it, but what made you kind of combine those two things to kind of link it to this kind of class system and, and social issues? Uh, I, I, I don't know what made me do it, if I'm honest. It's, uh, it was just an idea that came from my own brain. But I do know that it was, it was just a small short play, like, uh, you know, like a 15-minute drama, and that it... it it got developed into a full piece. Uh, so there was a uh, there's a company called Actor Awareness who uh, commissioned it into a full play because they uh, it it was originally at, at their studio the the initial short play um, and it was it was this I think it was a, a working class festival of new writing so it was commissioned into a full drama uh, and that's that's how it came about. Um, as for where the idea came from, if I'm honest, I I, I couldn't tell you. <laughs> So did you not, uh, you said before with some of your writing that you like exploring the kind of social issues. Did you not, did you go into it thinking, right, I want to write something about this area that really like makes a point about something or did that just kind of develop as you were coming up with the story? No, no, I know what you're saying. In this, in this instance, it, the whole play is an allegory for uh, social class for sure. So yeah, it, it started off as, how can I tell a new play? Uh, how can I tell a new story about the class system, which doesn't, you know, involve chavs and uh, you know, like, what, yeah, 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 thinking yeah. of a new way to, to write about class, basically. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And like I said, I think it's very clever concepts and it's definitely intriguing. And from the um, reviews that I saw online of it, a lot of people. Are, said that once viewing it it was like it's the idea is just kind of something you don't expect it's telling a story which is very connecting and you can understand but done in a you know a very different and interesting way 
what was your involvement then in putting it together? So this is what I'm intrigued about as well as that, obviously, you as the writer, you've written it. Once you've then put it out into work, the world for someone to run with and produce, what is your involvement as the play itself's coming together? I'm, I'm still quite heavily involved. So we have a director, Samantha Robinson. So at the end of the day, all the kind of production decisions fall on her head. But... Uh, you know, I, I come to rehearsals, I work with the actors, I'm good friends with the actors. Um, so, I, yeah, we, we have a kind of, we, they call it a theatre company. It's like a small group of like six or seven of you. Uh, yeah, I'm very much involved in, in that. And then I'm kind of the contact with the theatres. And, and if, you know, we want to take it somewhere else, then I'm it's myself who's working on that. So, yeah, it's uh, I'm still very much involved with it. Nice. And is that a direction that you're seeing yourself go further and further into with the kind of writing plays and be more hands-on with putting them together? Yeah, it's. I'll be honest, it's not one I always thought I would do. Uh, yeah. when, when I graduated uni, I did write quite a lot of short plays. Um, and in those instances, I would just hand the script over and that's kind of the end of my role. Uh, like there was one at the uh, Hammersmith, uh, the, the Lyric Theatre in Hammersmith, when I literally just, uh, it had Jude Law in it, but after, as soon as I get handed the script in, I didn't have anything to do with it, unfortunately, so I didn't really get to meet him. Uh, oh, wow. I know. So how, how did that come about then? Uh, it was, they, they'd already commissioned another play of mine and they asked for another one for, for Jude Law, but obviously once you submit the scripts, you don't, uh, that's it in that, in that instance, you, you, don't, you don't really work on the production of it. So I, I am enjoying having a say in kind of how it turns out, for sure, because it's, it's all part of the process, right? It's, um, you, you know, you want the audience to experience it a certain way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So would you say there is a lot more satisfaction then in being part of the complete process? 100%, 100%, I love it. The only, the only downside of it is it's very time consuming. So for example, things like emailing reviewers to come and watch it or try to get it on at another theatre it does take up a lot of time that's a kind of producing role and we do have a a, a, a producer as well uh cammy who is great uh, but yeah it does it does take up a lot of time but it's all part of the yeah. fun it keeps you busy yeah absolutely well, i was gonna say that as like it seems something which is obviously very satisfying and i kind of get that from being the start to the end of the project but i mean theater is notoriously hard to get off the ground anyway would you say that's something that okay you'd have to split that amongst projects where you just go okay i've got to let this script go and someone else do it because it's not sustainable to be kind of part of every single thing that i write maybe yeah yeah if you run out of time for sure and if and if you i guess it depends who's got it like if you had a director or a producer who just wanted to go their own way with it and had a really kind of wild idea that was quite quite far off what you pictured then yeah i would say all right just go and do what you need to do but in, yeah. in, the, in this instance uh the director sam she me and her have kind of got the same vision of what it's meant to look like which is brilliant yeah cool um, you said you've done a few others before where they have just been taken in a room with. Have you watched any that you've written and thought, mm, that's not really what I was getting at? Yeah. <laughs> yes, I have. Yeah. I, w I won't push you to name if you don't want to, but uh, um, yeah, I can imagine that's frustrating though, isn't it? It is, especially when you're sat in the back of the audience and you can see everyone kind of watching it being a bit deflated. Uh, and you know what's interesting yeah. as well is that the same script can can like have an amazing response or a kind of apathetic response depending on 
how it's been interpreted. Like, there's been a couple of plays I've done, I won't say which ones they are, but they've been interpreted multiple times. And like, say the first time, they went down really well, which was like, oh, I'll submit this for a few more yeah, things. Yeah. And then you kind of lose all your love for it when it's performed by people who don't really look like they want to be there. Yeah. Nah, I can see, yeah, I can imagine that is frustrating. But yeah, but interesting as well because it gives an insight, doesn't it? I mean, I imagine a lot of people just think, okay, this person wrote that. That's what I see. That's the writer. There it is without kind of considering and the same for film as well is what goes on in between. Like they can, the end product can be so much different to what's been put on paper originally. Yeah, it's just those, there are two different approaches. It can be a blueprint for a director to go and do their thing or it can be very much a vision. I mean, you can see it in how it's written as well with kind of how much yeah. direction is there. You know, mm -hmm. if there's no direction, it's just dialogue. You can tell that it is literally just a blueprint for someone to go and elevate into a production, you know? Yeah, and how do you prefer to write? Do you prefer to put more direction in there? Yes, I do. Because I, you know, I kind of see it in my own head and yeah, I'm a bit of a control freak, I have to say. <laughs> but that's good. I imagine a lot of, that is a good fit for a lot of directors who want to be able to know what their confines are and create something within that. Because uh, like you said, the idea of having it wide open can lead to, disasters in a lot of cases not saying that the ones that you did were disasters but you know it, it can it can go in that direction if it is you know it, it misinterpreted yeah there is a fine balance though marcus because you don't want for example you don't want to tell an actor how to deliver a line because that's the actor's job so yeah, yeah. unless the the note is uh, essential to the story for example sarcastically and then the, the actor understands that, oh, they don't mean that line. But you, if I've seen a lot of scripts where every single line, it's kind of like uh, tentatively or, you know, and it's like, well, just let, let the actor do their job. Sure. Yeah, they know what they're sure. doing. No, that's fascinating. This is exactly the kind of insights I wanted to get from uh, doing these chats is that because the same applies, like I said, TV, film, any kind of creative art is the idea that there's so many kind of gray areas is where the kind of magic happens where it can go either way and like i just said before often people think someone's written it there's the film fantastic there's the play whatever but it's those little kind of areas where it's the judgment call of the director which way they go it's the judgment call of the actor which way they go and it's all those things that need to fall together to make a a beautiful bit of art. All right, well, I think that rounds off the chat on that nicely. What I really did want to chat about as well is because obviously I've got a big interest in film was the short film that you put together and won the Endemol Shine Short Cut Award for. It's, was it Isa or Isa? How is it pronounced? Yeah, Isa. That's Isa. The, the name of the uh, the lady who we, we filmed with. Yes. Which I watched that as well. I thought it was fantastic. What was it like two and a half minutes? But I think it quickly really captured a story, condensed it nicely. It looked really nice as well, and definitely was. It left a lot of intrigue as well. There's a there's a big story in there, but I think you captured kind of the essence of it nicely in it. How did that come about, and um, what was the process of putting it together? So it it was a specific competition uh, with the company I work for, uh, Workerbee, who were part of Endemol. Uh, so all the different Endemol companies uh, in the uh, in the country, their junior staff were tasked with uh, making a documentary over a weekend. But they, okay. they so they at five o'clock on the Friday they told you what the theme was, which I believe was LGBTQ. 
Yeah. Oh no, it was it was diversity, uh, and then you have the weekend. And you have to submit it at ten o'clock on the Monday. So we shot on the Saturday. Well, basically on the Friday night we uh, brainstormed what could we do. Uh, came up with different ideas. We could do a feature on Canal Street. We could do uh, my colleague uh, Baz. He was friends with uh, the lady who we we ended up filming with. So that was one of the ideas. We kind of brainstormed, well, how could all these films look? Decided what we wanted to do. She she had no idea. She hadn't been briefed before that we might do a film about her. <laughs> and then Friday night, we went to her house, did a kind of research chat, uh, worked out the kind of thing we'd be able to film. Because obviously, you would do the interview, but then you also need the actuality of her uh, yeah. in the world. Um, filmed it on Saturday, did a down-the-lens interview on the Saturday, used a, a device called an iDirect where you kind of sat to the side of camera. It's like a, a periscope. So you can look her in the eye and she can look you in the eye, but she's actually looking down the lens. Uh, so did that and then filmed her kind of... It wasn't her first, because uh, she's a tra she's transgender lady. Um, it wasn't her first female clothing, but it was one of her first, you know, uh, one of her first lots of female clothing that she was buying. Uh, filmed her kind of doing a bit of shopping for that because it was a big moment like you're capturing yeah, something quite important uh, and then yeah and then we spent the Sunday cutting it which was fun I'll be honest like I made it with two really good friends but by the end because we we did it all through the night we finished about I think half seven on the on the Monday morning so all Sunday all Sunday night Monday morning we finished at half seven by the end of it I think it's fair to say that we hated each other <laughs> and I, you know, I'll hold my hands up. They, you know, have just as much reason to hate me, if not more. We'd fall, yeah. fallen out for sure, but uh, we're on good speaking terms again now. It's just That's one of those, fun. you know, it's like that time in the morning and you're all just like pulling your hair out. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially when you're trying to make decisions as well, like a decision you need to make. It's hard to make decisions amongst a few people anyway at the best of times but when you're like absolutely sleep deprived and stressed and you're trying to discuss something yeah I can imagine that was challenging but I mean congratulations on the award but yeah I thought it was I thought it was fantastic um one thing I did want to ask though was because obviously it's quite a sensitive issue that you went into and there's some you've got to tread carefully make sure that you're representing in the right way but at the same time you don't want to be seen to be putting too much focus on areas like you're trying to uh, shove a message down people's throat. How did you find that process of making sure you got the right balance of the message? Yeah, tricky. And also, it, the, the trickiest thing is you wanted her to be happy with it because it's a, it's a huge part of her life. It's probably the biggest thing that will happen to her, you know. I, I don't think I would be speaking out of turn to say that. So you want to represent her correctly. And all the most interesting things that we interviewed her about are not necessarily the things you want to front load the film with because you don't want it to just be a film about her colleague's uh, reaction. You know, you want it to be yeah, yeah. a well-rounded piece that you feel like you're getting a good sense of who she is. Uh, you know, all the best documentaries give uh, a good overall picture, I would say. And yeah, yeah you, uh, in terms of... Uh, you know, it being a sensitive issue, it is, and I think that's why it's important to make. You know, it, it's uh, it's an important topic, and it's it's very topical, isn't it? We're all talking about it. It's 
Mm-hmm. You, you can't be scared of those topics. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, that is the power of film, isn't it? It's looking at an issue which people might feel uncomfortable or misinformed on, gathering information, putting it out there in a you know informed, educated way, but also leaving it open for interpretation and letting people do it. But I think, yeah, I think you did did, did that really well with that film. And um, uh, I definitely think, like you said, the documentary format has the power to do that. Did you do the interviews in, them, in it yourself? I, I interviewed her, yeah. What kind of... So you're saying you didn't want it front-loaded with certain topics. Did you have set areas you knew you really wanted to cover or were you just kind of having a chat and lifting uh, the, the key information as it came? Uh, when I, whenever I do this, I try and do a, a pre-chat kind of on a different day so, so the person doesn't feel like they're repeating themselves. Um, yeah. Make your notes. Think about what your film is. Uh, if it's, for example, a TV documentary, it'll have sections. So you could li- you literally write what you could call a shooting script and you can write in a rough guide of what you think they're going to say, uh, but not you know you're not looking to get it word for word. You just you want it to feel natural. You want it to feel conversation like. But you also need, as an interviewer, to know that what you're asking isn't a waste of time, uh, and that it's targeted. So yeah. yeah uh, so we had set co- we had set topics that we wanted to ask her about, um, and then it kind of all fall apart in the edit, can't it? And and turn into something else. You look at what is delivered the best what's the most emotive and and what works i mean we we could have made a 10 minute film in, mm-hmm. in fact we had a like an eight minute cut so okay. the, the 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 thing had to be i think it had to be less than two minutes or less than two and a half or something like that so it's got to be selective haven't you i guess yeah and it's amazing how you can easily put so much more on a film without realizing it it's like you go oh this will be a short edit and before you know it you've got like you said eight ten minutes in there of what ended up being a two and a half minute one yeah i get that um but yeah thanks for chatting about that found that interesting and i definitely think anyone listening should check that out it's on youtube right yeah uh well this is the, this is the other thing i should say about documentary making and that in particular and you're saying about sensitive issues like I, you know, I wasn't the most educated person on transgender uh, issues at all, at all. And making that film made me learn things. Just spending a, a day and a half yeah. with Issa and, and, you know, she's so great and so interesting and so lovely. It opened my eyes up. And that's the, that's the fantastic thing about this job is that it's different all the time and it, it, it yeah. is... It's interesting, you know. You don't you don't feel like you're treading water at any point, or I don't yet yeah. anyway. Uh, and yeah, the film is on YouTube. It's on my website. Uh, so yeah, it's. I think if if you put into YouTube, ESA, which is I S A, uh, and it's like a doc a documentary made in a weekend, uh, it'll come up. Fantastic, yeah. E- everyone, check that out. Very good film. But yeah, I, I agree what you're saying there um, about. Get, giving you an insight and that's the beautiful thing about any kind of like art form and why we can never forget any of it because it is that's what makes changes like looking now we're going through so many different movements across the world and without art to share it with people then we're just stuck in the same place doing the same thing so i think films like that are very important before we move away because i'm very aware that i have been uh, asking you a lot of questions on the stuff you've done in the past I just wanted to talk about your comic book writing as uh, I read about this on your website and I've got very little knowledge on anything to do with comic books really. I'm going to hold my hands up and say that. 
But um, if I can find it, I wrote down a great quote that you put on there and I found it really interesting. Um, which was, I think it was part of the comic book section, but you said, I love books, I love films, and I believe this one sti- stigmatized art form is the perfect combination of both. So for a lot of people, I mean, comic books and superheroes have become, you know, a lot more popular and mainstream through Marvel films, but it's something that has been a subculture in the past. And for someone who doesn't really, um, not get it, but has never really dived into it, it can still seem that. So what for you makes it this great amalgamation of those two things? Uh, it's, it's reading. So it's the, it's the uh, relaxing enjoyment of sitting with a book. Yeah, but it's also visuals and cinematography and pure creation, and and it's a it's it's a combination of multiple people's skills, right? It's not just a novel, which is the one person's voice. It is a writer, and it's an artist. It's an inker. It's a colorist, uh, and yeah, and they're easy reading as well, man. Like that, you know. Like sometimes you just can't be bothered to pick up a book, or I can't yeah, anyway, yeah. with a comic. There's, it's just easy, great, fun reading, and all the things that make for great stories, strong characters, twists, great endings, you know, three-act structures, they're all there. Um, and, and we've seen in the last 10 years or so how how influential they, they can be. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I've, like so many films now in the cinema, you know, are from that genre. So, and it's now become a thing of discussion topics as people complain and say that okay well marvel is now holding so much responsibility to represent different groups and things like that so it's shown how popular it has become but what would you say are the types of stories you are able to tell with comics and comic books is it so open-ended that like i said there you can represent so many different groups because from my perspective probably growing up looking at a comic it's just like okay there's your superhero story there's action fantastic but does it run deeper than that for you? A lot deeper, yeah. It's not just white men in capes punching each other. <laughs> it's, uh, you know, like some of the best, some of my favourite comics are nothing to do with superheroes. They're kind of, uh, there's, there's one I would recommend you checking out called Y, as in the letter Y, The Last Man. And it's about the last man on earth who, uh, and, and his pet monkey and, and, uh, there's all the women are still alive, but he's the last man. And it's just a great kind of great epic 60 part story. I think they're making a TV show out of it, but there's so many. Yeah. I mean, it's it, like with the radio thing, you kind of got an unlimited budget. So you, as, as yeah. far as your imagination can stretch. Yeah. That, the only thing, the only difference with um, comics, I would say they do have, they do still have to be visual stories. Um, you know, they have to have a visual element. Whereas the radio, I guess they can be more character-based, character studies. Um, but yeah, it, it, it runs so much deeper than superhero stories for sure. Yeah, no, it's interesting to hear you say that because like I said, I've never really invested any time in it, but that does. I'm definitely going to check that out as the recommendation. But the more I've thought about it, the more it's made me realise, well, of course, it's not just going to be as simple as that when so many people get so much from it. And yeah, it's fascinating to hear you say that. So thank you for sharing that insight. Okay, to kind of wrap us up towards the end, I think we've covered a lot of good areas and I've got some good insight into the work you've done in the past. So thank you for sharing that. I just wanted to chat a little bit more about, and we have covered some areas of this, but what, just what it is to be a writer 
and what it means to you because unlike um, a lot of professions it's you know it's a real passion project a lot of people just write on the side but obviously you're doing it you want to make more of it and you are making more of it but for you to kind of be a writer do you feel that's the kind of identity you carry with you and if so what does that kind of embody yeah i would say it is in fact people would my my partner might uh might be annoyed about this but i would say it is the thing that defines me more than anything else uh i love it 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 is how i identify for sure i love the work i love uh i love having having that kind of power over an audience you know i love creating stories i love characters i love writing dialogue uh i love the, I love like saying it out, saying the dialogue out loud to, to hear how it sounds. I just get a kick off it. Um, yeah. You know, I love I love what we were talking about with the with the actors and producing work now and and your contributors and watching things come to life. I love working in an edit. This year, I spent a lot of time editing stuff, and I love I love that side of it. Yeah, it's uh, it, it is how how I would identify, I guess. Do you get a kick out of reading your own stuff back? Because on a very basic level, I mean, it can sound a bit arrogant, but on a basic level, whenever I've uh, written something, whether it just be like a blog article or something, I've really liked it and I've gone back to read it maybe like a month or so later. I do get a bit of satisfaction going, oh, that came out of my head in a nice way. Do you get a satisfaction from reading like something good you've put together and gone, okay, yeah, I did that, pretty chuffed with that? Uh, not reading it, I'll be honest. If I'm being completely honest, I don't think so. But what I do get a kick out of is, say, my mum reading it and saying, okay. this bit was great. I, that, there's nothing yeah. that, you know, that means so much to me because I've put so much of myself into it. Or I also get a kick out of, for example, before lockdown, I was shooting this, um, we were, ma- were making this new series of, like, uh, poetry, but in, like, a, like, the shot, like, music videos. And okay, the cool. actor who delivered it, she was so good, and she like brought it to life and made it so mu- made my poem so much better yeah. than it than it is on paper. She just turned it into a whole new thing. Same with the theatre. Same with so much of the stuff. Other people bring themselves to it and elevate it like unbelievably, and I get a, such a kick out of that because I said, like, "Oh, that all started with me, but now look what what it's become." And that's not because of me. That's because of look how talented she is or you, you know i get a kick out of that for sure yeah i can visualize that as well i went to a short film like a mini short film screening in chester last year and, and the first film that was on was exactly that it was a poem delivered kind of like a, a music video and i came out of it and i said to my mate who i went with i was like i've already thought of that as a kind of genre of a video before but it really struck me like something quite simple it's a well-written poem and a well put together video but well delivered but there was some real power to it which kind of went beyond just reading it yourself sounds good um, but I see if, yeah, you, can, I what you, mean uh, see if you can find out what it was and uh, let me know because it sounds good that yeah i'll check it out i'll check it out but um i, I can definitely relate to that what you're saying is like the idea of you've produced something but then somebody has taken it somewhere and you're looking at it going okay yeah that that is a bit special it's like uh, the screen as, as good as the screenwriter for 1917 is you can't tell me i think it was a lady you can't tell me that her screenplay was anything near the epic standards of what that film became you know, it's yep. it's the it's the the collaboration, is it? It's the Roger Deakins and the Sam Mendes. 
all together with that script Absolutely. to turn it yeah, into yeah. that epic experience. Yeah, no, that's a very good comparison. Um, what well, well, that was brings me on to what I was going to ask. Uh, what kind of key influences are any really outstanding pieces of work from writers have you seen either recently in the past that have really kind of driven you and thought, yeah, that's the kind of thing I want to be doing? Yeah. Well, for me, honestly, I'm I'm not into one genre or one medium. You you probably got this impression from the discussion we've had, but I just like gripping stories and characters that kind of jump off the page or screen, you know, whatever medium that is. So I, I, I'd like to think I take inspiration from, from all forms of writing, really. So, for example, you know, like uh, in theatre, I love Alan Akebourne uh, and I love how he writes for theatre and that, that they couldn't really be interpreted. There's so many plays he's done that couldn't be interpreted in another genre like that they would only work in theatre and I love that. Uh, Simon Stevens... Um, who mentored us at the the Lyric in Hammersmith? He inspiration, um, and then so much, so many other forms of writing. So, you know, like novels, Stephen King, Anthony Horowitz, uh, Emma Donoghue, uh, Harper Lee, um, and then your comic books. So everything from the sixties, Stan Lee, up until uh, you know, like Mark Miller. Who Mark Miller's a lot of his comic books are what the films have become now he's responsible for so many of the the, the amazing films uh kick-ass and uh civil war and great film kick-ass and that was one of the one kind of uh comic book films that really stood out to me and watched it i was like okay this is special yeah and mark 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 uh published the first comic that i did so he's kind of a real he's really changed my life in okay, the sense yeah, that yeah. reading his work and then having the the published work he's uh He's an inspiration. He was always a favourite of mine. Um, he, he kind of wrote comic books in a f- cinema, uh, a film. A, he wrote comic books like a film, basically, and they really do translate into into big screen motion pictures. Uh, TV, you've got kind of like Vince Gilligan, uh, Sally Wainwright, Carolina Hearn, uh, Jimmy McGovern, and, you know, even like Ricky Gervais, John Sullivan. I, I feel like I do take inspiration from lots of different genres, but that that there's there's something to be said in an eclectic mix. And then film, Danny Boyle, uh, Christopher Nolan, uh, Asif Kapadia, you know, um, and poetry as well. We're chatting about poetry, and I know it's not some it's not typically something you would think about, but for me, like, I feel like all writers should read and write poetry because it makes you think about the sound of language and yes which is to be honest is not given enough credence these days because I, I just don't think it is and yeah like john cooper clark for me is an absolute icon he's an absolute legend yeah, he, he is, is brilliant. brilliant i find what i find interesting about poetry is how it's so culturally linked because sounds of words that work in one language don't work in another because it's, it's a different word so the way that you would craft a poem or the kind of progression of that into music or it would be popular music or whatever is different. You would say things in different languages in different ways because of the sounds of them. And yeah, there's what you said there about the sound of language. I find that pretty fascinating and it does impact us all. We all listen to music on a kind of popular level. So it's something that really affects our lives is like the way language is put together like that. So 
Yeah, no, I get your point there with poetry. Yeah, and 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 with film, then it, talking about the sound of language, that's that's your deciding factor, isn't it? Of whether you, if you're watching a foreign film, if you wanted to watch it subtitled or yeah. you know, like dubbed. Uh, and for me, it would always be subtitled because then you can hear yeah. the sounds and yeah, yeah, you know how it's meant how it's meant to come across. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's a good point. That is a good point. Anyway, I could ask you about all these all day, but I want to try and wrap up on something a bit rounded. Um, this one might sound a bit deeply philosophical, but if you can give me an answer, uh, a, a kind of answer, that would be great. Um, so I wanted to ask, kind of, what has being a writer, the craft of being a writer, the process of writing, what's the kind of biggest thing or some of the biggest things it's kind of given you as a person? Like You said that's the one main thing that you... Uh, identify yourself as as a writer but what by doing the process of writing is it given to your life oh that's a big one <laughs> <laughs> i really like to try and push the boundaries uh so w- tell me again tell me again so i want to know like from the process of being a writer having the experiences you've had a writer developing characters and getting in different mindsets what has that added to your life if you weren't a writer what wouldn't you have in your life that you do now I think if I had to choose one thing, it would be to embrace and, and the ability to embrace change. Change for me is, is, is so good. It's not just good. It, it's everything. It's so important. Uh, you know, you've got to constantly keep your brain alive, right? So, for example, people say, oh, do you write best, like, uh, in the middle of a city or out in the countryside. Well, for me, it's always the moment you've you've moved somewhere else for, you know, it's the okay, act, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's traveling around. You, you're inspired by your surroundings, uh, which has obviously been tough at the moment. For yeah, And I think yeah. that's been tough for so many creative people, just being stuck in their own front room. But that change of, the change of scenery and the change of people and meeting new people, you know, I think it's invaluable. For example, uh, last year, me and my friend, we, we were on this deserted island in the Bahamas. Uh, we're doing a documentary about this island that was being constructed from nothing. And I was in the most, uh, the purest opposite position there than, than I was at home. And I remember coming home and having reams of ideas, not even related to islands or the Bahamas uh, yeah. necessarily, but just my brain just felt like it had opened up because I'd, I'd, re- I'd fully like, experienced something new. Uh, and that's kind of, I guess that's why I love documentaries because that it's inspiring that change, becoming a mini expert on a new topic for four concentrated months. It's, uh, yeah, that, I, I think it would be change, man. Um, and trying something new, like I said, with the poetry thing, just not being scared of, of change and trying new things, writing for new mediums. It gets you, you know, it gets you going, it gets you excited. You don't want to be like treading water. Yeah, absolutely. No, I think that's a really good answer and I that makes a lot of sense and I kind of I get what you mean as well with the feeling of even for me just a very kind of subtle experience of just going somewhere for a weekend. I feel like when I return home you you kind of you rejuvenate there's something in your mind that kind of clicks and be like, Okay, yeah, I've got these thoughts, I've got these ideas, I'm seeing the world in a different way and that's for me what kind of just arts and anything to do with it is is kind of 
taking on from what you said, but it's seeing the world in a different way. And from this is why I like speaking to people like yourselves as well, like yourself and things that we've talked about is that the things that you've said to me today is, you know, looking at the world in a different way, looking at different angles on it and not just there's how the world is. That's the way it always will be. And that's the beautiful thing that I take from writing as well, whether it be reading something or something you've put together is that you're seeing someone's mind who sees the world in a different way and I feel that's that's one of the biggest positive things in life is that having people in the world who do that and that's the only thing that really drives us forward so very good to hear you say that because it's very encouraging to know that change and things like that is what drives you forward brilliant okay to wrap up um I just wanted to cover ask you things that you're working on anything that's out there now that I haven't mentioned and also um, what are your ambitions for the future? There was a lot of things at once there. So we'll start. Um, you mentioned already things that you've been working on now, but what are the main projects that you are going to be kind of completing soon? Yeah. So uh, I said about the, the three radio dramas that I've been working on with the children. Two of those are in at the BBC now. The third one was we're recording a week tomorrow in Wales, so that that is a big thing that I've been working on for quite yeah, a long time. Uh, then there's the, the there's also the the ra- the five part series that I've been doing as a collective 2040, which should be done by the end of the year. That's a Spotify thing. Uh, Fantastic. I mentioned the I think I said about the poetry music video. Uh, yes. Yeah. That, so that's called Rhyme Down the Lens. We, I was chatting to. We've only shot one of them yet, but I was chatting to the guy who's going to hopefully do the next one today. So that we're going to we're filming the next one in a prison so yeah we're going to be doing that at some point over the next uh, few weeks but over lockdown the main project i've been working on is um other than these things is uh we're doing a a documentary about first class uh, air travel and we were it was commissioned before uh you know the virus and the pandemic yeah. Uh, and then once it hit, we the channel said, "Oh, we we're able to keep it going, and we and it's just going to look different." So now we've spent a, well, the whole of lockdown. We've been still making it, but we're just trying to think of new ways to make a documentary. So we've been doing a lot of the editing first, and we've been we were we were meant to be filming on these flights. We're meant to be whether it be undercover filming or proper organised filming in like first class suites on aeroplanes. Um, we. We just had to come up with a different way. So we've been, it's now more of a talking heads documentary. We've been using controlled uh, locations with a green screen, getting our contributors in, our industry leaders or our celebrities, uh, and interviewing them just down the lens, uh, and and then you know making the location COVID secure before the next one comes, yeah. and then using you know existing footage and existing materials that already is out there and. Kind, kind of piecing it together that way. So it's been, it's been a weird way of making telly for sure. It's like... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something I've not been used to anyway, but, uh, you know, you've got to come up with new new ways to do things, right? Well, because that forces um, different ways of being creative and that's the beauty of people who are creative and take on creative projects. There's always going to be a, a workaround. There's always another direction to go and can lead to new things. Uh, when's that going to be out? Uh, we deliver it at the end of this month, July, so uh, it could be on TV as early as uh, middle of August. Cool. Where will that be? Channel 5. Sweet. Well, I'll look out for it for sure. 
Um, and um, yeah, where do you, oh, we've talked about all the different areas that you've covered and you've uh, in the past and still now work in different areas. What do you see the future holding for you and where would you like to go? Have you got any kind of main projects you want to take on? More change, I think. Obviously, it's it's cool to, you know, I've done the play. It would be cool to do another one. But for me, the most exciting thing is exactly what I've been saying, which is to try something new. So, you know, like I want to, I've never written a kid's book. I want to have a go at that. I want to, you know, make a mockumentary. Uh, yeah. who doesn't want to make a feature film you know who, who, there's so many things I want to try but yeah the thought of new things is is the most exciting thing for me fantastic well I'm I'm fully sure you'll go on and create some more good stuff and I'm very excited to check it out as you do it so there we have it there was my conversation with writer Simon James I hope you enjoyed it. I really did. It was great to speak to somebody who was so passionate about the work that they did, had so many different creative ideas and had visions of so many things he wanted to do in the future. So for me, I got a lot out of it. It was lovely to have a chat and actually a great insight into what it takes to be a writer, something that I've always wanted to dabble in in the future. I've tried in the past, but always find difficult. So I think there's a lot of good tips I picked up there and has also given me determination to go on and pursue my own creative projects as well. Like I said at the beginning of the podcast, storiesbysimon.co.uk is Simon James's website. If you want to dive into more of his work there, he's got links to YouTube videos and other snippets of his work, including articles and his short stories. So if you want to dive into that, head over and check that out. So that wraps us up. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to be lining up some more great guests going forward where we'll be chatting to them about all different creative endeavors where I'll be learning stuff and hopefully you'll be learning stuff from them as well. Keep tuning into the Glass A Film Club for more film reviews and more conversations like this and we'll see you again very soon.